Well, being practical aware, the first thing that comes to my mind is the white stage of mind, which is unaware, mm -hmm. unprepared, and unaware. And back when I wrote that book, 78% of people go through their lives in that way. That like, blew me um, away. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, going to work every day. How many of us go to work the same exact way? You know, get up. That's right. Get in their cars, go to the same road every day, and then come back to the same road every day. You know, I, I worked as a PI for a time. And a lot of times I had to follow people first thing in the morning. I didn't have, to, I didn't even have to wait in front of their house or anywhere near their street. I could wait at their Dunkin' Donuts because I knew that they were going to be at their Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> and follow them from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Creature or, of or, habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that that's what I teach in that book. Like, discovering new ways to get to to work like i know i mean i, I work from home with aware recovery care but i know that when i used to work at you know buildings places in worcester there was like 10 different ways to get to work you know and i i would i would actually go different places you know, different ways to work every day just to just to keep my mind from not being in a zombie-like state when I went to work, you know? Yeah. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we're speaking with Charles Smith. Charles Smith is an Army veteran. Thank you for your service, Charles. He is an author, an inspiration guru, and he has written seven self-help published books. So, Charles, could you please introduce yourself? Let people know just a little bit about you, please. Hey, doing, Ed. Great to be on this podcast. I've been seems like I've been waiting a while to be on here. This is one that I've really <laughs> wanted to be on. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. A um, little bit about myself. I I'm a father first and foremost to a ten year old boy and a twelve year old girl. Um, I've dealt with trauma pretty much my whole life from my mother passing away when I was six, which today is actually her birthday. So today is pretty much a, you know, a good day to have a great podcast. And um, yeah, and I've been in the military, like you said. I've had a lot of life experiences, like in the military, I was in a tank explosion. And I just found out that I have TBI because of that. And um, I have 30 years in addiction recovery. I have um, 43 years dealing with PTSD. And I'm a suicide survivor. The list goes on and on. 
Yeah. Life, it can throw some wax at you. And that's one of the things I, I noticed through the research, you've been through that trench. And what I mean by that is life is not easy and you have to struggle through sometimes. I came from a place where I was raised by Indians and I spent a lot of time on the reservation. I received my early health care provided through the Native Americans and my adopted father. I've, I've really been through some of those experiences that alcohol and drugs and violence and all of these things can really twist you as a child and they tend to stay in the back of your mind until you start digging in and releasing those memories those things can really stack up and make you feel just dead dead in america yep what what was some of those traumatic experiences that brought you to where you are now today helping people recover from addiction and self-sabotage basically that's a long list for me um (laughs) the first one would have to be my mother's death when i was six and then my father moving us around i actually have a book 10 homes in 11 years because my father moved us around 10 homes before he passed away when I was 11. Mm. And um, when he passed away, that was one of those moments when I was just 11 years old where um, I woke up one night and I mean, one morning, and I remember seeing him making coffee and I was just like, ever have one of those moments where you know something bad is going to happen? Yeah. I had that moment. I went over there. I went over to him. I hugged him. I said, Dad, I want to stay from home from school. And he said, no, you've missed too much school already. You got to go to school. So I went in my bathroom. I stuck my finger down my throat so I could throw up. And tell him, hey, look, I just threw up. I'm sick. I'm staying home. We ended up driving my sister to her school. And I stayed home from school with him. Right after we dropped her off, we went to get some groceries. And he passed out in the store on me. Wow. Yeah. And then he... um. He came to after the clerk that knew him, gave him some orange juice. He was a diabetic. No. Yeah. And then we we went home and he passed out on me again. So I ran over to my neighbors that I knew, brought her over to my, my house, and we brought him to the hospital. And then he passed away shortly after we brought him to the hospital. I was holding his hand and he passed away. So that was, yeah, that, that can be traumatic. That's for sure. You know, and and you were what? 11, you said. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we, we lost our fathers right around the time. That's about when I lost my real father. Uh, I say around 11, 12 years old, somewhere around there. And my father, World War II veteran. My father too. I remember, yeah, I remember as a child going through the footlocker, a little cedar chest, and he brought some of those Holocaust photos back with him. And I, I still don't know where those photos are today, but I remember seeing bodies stacked as cordwood. And these are photographs that he took dealing with Auschwitz and, you know, the Nazi concentration camps. Yeah. I, I often look 
at my childhood because I got very upset and angry with my father, uh, a hatred built inside of me because I didn't understand why he was an alcoholic and why he chose to be gone all the time. But now with that experience under my belt a little bit, I understand a little more and I empathize and I regret a lot of those things that I chose and how I chose to react because I didn't understand fully what the situation was. Now I, I, I really concentrate on that a lot in my life. Yeah. What what were some of those experiences that your father passed on to you? Well, a lot of like um moving around, like uh you mentioned being part Indian. I lived on a Navajo reservation because my father was a um a chef and they needed a chef on I forget what college it was exactly, but um the Navajo Reservation in Arizona has a college on it, and they needed a chef. And yeah, that that was an interesting experience in itself because I was one of the only white boys, and I really yeah. didn't belong there. You know, I, yeah. I was on I was on their land, you know, and I was honestly treated as such. You know, and I I ended up being like a um, a blood brother. You know how they cut your hand and you shake the hand and exchange the blood. I ended up doing that with a with an Indian. I I even forget his name now, but um yeah, I ended up doing that, and they they would like uh tell me about skinwalkers and all those different types of uh folklore yes yeah and that would i was like nine ten years old at the time that would scare the crap out of me you know and you know another experience was living in um van horn texas where i was what the only uh the only white boy on a Mexican um, town, and yeah. I always I always bring up the fact that my my son is half Hispanic and half Hawaiian because at that time people tend to wonder if I'm if I grew up prejudice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, nope, the funny nope. <laughs> the funny thing, Charles, is. Uh, I've been assaulted so many times because people think that I'm Mexican and it's mm. like, Hey, I'm a Caucasian white guy here, you know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and yeah. some of that prejudice that, you know, just looks are deceiving and people really tend to measure you and judge you based on just your looks i find it interesting Hmm. when when you when you deal with some of these issues that you've had to overcome to be a good father and it's still probably a learning process today uh, as we all grow more and more as we recover more and more Uh, i know Back in the 80s, I got hooked on that cocaine and the methamphetamines. And, you know, I grew marijuana. I dealt with that a lot. And that lifestyle, it's kind of uh, self-defeating, but yet very intriguing in many ways i i felt at home there i felt a comfort because not a lot was expected of me just yeah. keep that status quo going 
so so talk to us about that what what was some of the feelings that you had about you know keeping the status quo going just to live and survive i'll I'll tie in the last two um sure my one thing uh my mother died of drugs and alcohol and my father owned a uh, nursing home and she got some of the medication from um, uh, some of his patients. And um, something I've never shared on any podcasts, you'll be the first one. But um, he, uh, according to my family, he was an enabler for her. Mm -hmm. And once they both passed on and I came back to my family in Massachusetts from Van Horn, Texas, and I just found this out recently, but my, I mean, I had suspicions, but my family had a hard time with me because of the trauma that I've been through at a young age, but also because I reminded them of my father. And so they they were trying to raise a kid that they seen someone that they they despised in me because of my father. And they, um, you know, they they were trying to help at the same time. So that yeah. that was that was a really hard situation. And then I grew up and my cousin who I idolized when I was like 17, 18, 19, he had the biggest truck in uh you guys probably say Worcester, Massachusetts. We say Worcester. But um <laughs> But uh, yeah, we he had the biggest truck. He had tons of money flowing out of his pockets. He had women on each arm. You know, you're, you're a couple of years younger. He's your idol. He's who you want to be with. He's who you want to yeah. be around. And he was doing crack cocaine. And I wanted to do crack cocaine. So I started doing crack cocaine. And that was the lifestyle that I fell into. And I remember being around 20 and ask him, no, I was older. I was like 30. Asking my aunt, like, how did my mother really die? Because a lot of my, a lot of my life, I thought that she died of a heart attack. And my family came clean and said that she died of, um, uh, overdose and I was yeah. just I was pissed I was like if I knew that I probably wouldn't have done what I did in my youth you know, yeah I probably would have changed my life but yeah well you know that's part of growing up though Charles we yeah. we learn as we grow up that oh well if I would have done this I could have done that but right. some of some of those failures, really, I call them building blocks of life. Oh, definitely. And we definitely learn from those mistakes. Sometimes they're easy mistakes, and sometimes they hit you very hard. Uh, I I was a wild child when I was young. I I used to say I wouldn't make it past twenty five. You know, I I told my wife back before we got married, hey, you you don't want to waste your time. Uh, You know, it can be fun, but you don't want to go on this ride. And thank God Mm. she took the chance on me and helped me develop out of my weaknesses, my discomforts, because I really found companionship, finding the individual that believes in you, no matter what, that can mm-hmm. help us change in many ways. Uh, oh, definitely. Did you have somebody like that in your life? 
I had my, ironically, my cousin's brother, who ah. I I I always say I should have idolized, who was the uh, exact opposite. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, isn't that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goofy, and, huh? Um, yeah. And going back years, years back, it's funny. I was just... Um, Talking to, well, I, I just lost a uh, good friend, lifelong friend, brother even, to cancer last month. And he lives up in Vermont. Me and a, me and a couple of the other childhood friends went up to see him before he passed on. And I, because of my PTSD and my TBI, I forget a lot of my youth. You know, so I asked my friends, like, what was I like when I when I grew up? And they were like, I I was looking for family for exactly what you were just saying. You know, I was looking for um I couldn't find what I what I was craving in my own family, probably because I knew subconsciously that, you know. They seen my father in me, but I I couldn't find what I was looking for in my biological family. So my friends became my family and my friends lifted me up and my friends kept me going, you know, even in my hardest times. Like there was yeah. times where I was breaking down and you know, we didn't have cell phones back then, but I would I would call him on the phone like, hey Rob come up here. I need you. You know, and he would yeah. right down the street and he would just fly up here and, you know, be here in two minutes and yeah, be on, on the couch with me talking. You know, and yeah. Yeah. A solid connection. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You know, there's there's those individuals in my life that it doesn't matter what time of day, night pick up the phone, knock on my door, whatever you need to do. And we all need somebody like that in our life to actually right. recover from all of our childhoods have been kind of hard to deal with because we don't get an owner's manual for life. And right, right. I mean, it, <laughs> I know my my family at that time didn't have time to sit down and talk to children about life. You know, right. it, we we were kind of pushed to the side, go play. And from the time that door opened in the morning before the sun came up, you were out. Go do something, find something to do. Right, sometimes right. it was good sometimes not so you know and, <laughs> yep, and yep. you had the learning choice that that is so often denied nowadays that oh, that yeah, ability to learn yeah but, you know it's it's funny what I'm, do we do about it i was talking to a, a client of mine because I, I work for um an addiction recovery center and I, I was talking to a client of mine, like, we we live in a time now where, um, you know, friends don't get together outside. Friends don't get yeah. together, you know, they get together online. You know, like the movie yes. Stand By Me, if the movie Stand By yeah. Me was made now, it would be made online. Like friends <laughs> friends meeting each other yeah, exactly yeah. i'm with you there friends meeting each other and going on a raid <laughs> <laughs> you know like i long for that charles uh but hmm. that's a good point in our society we have lost the ability to connect and openly discuss even the hard things Back then, it was easy to talk about the hard things, and everybody knew, hey, it's just a thing. Get over it. Yeah. But 
we don't we don't get over it we harbor these anxieties these animosities and you know ill ill-gotten feelings towards each other because we we really don't face one another face to face anymore and have that human connection and i think we really need some of that back how long has it been since you've had a picnic and seen other families in the park playing ball or just having a good time together oh yeah definitely it's i couldn't even tell you because yeah i don't i don't i don't do it myself to be honest with you i mean i i have um, yes. times where me and my me and my family get together but we get together at a lake house that we have so we don't get together like in public but um i do have a park near my near my house that i see um people at but you don't see as many as you used to because i think it's because of covid unfortunately yeah you know a lot of people are like oh i don't want my kid to go out because he's gonna get covid or the flu or something and you know, people yes. are afraid to and, live life. Yes. And even prior to COVID, we were dealing with things, you know, the haunting of the mind, if you will, about things like Halloween. Back in the 70s, we grabbed a pillowcase and ran until midnight sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we could push the boundaries to 2 a.m., we would. But right. that that freedom is lost, and I, I think it was a a part of American culture that kept us willing to do the hard things. And you you've been in the military uh, during the early mid nineties, so. Right. Talk to us about that's about when the military was really taking a change and reinventing itself, mm-hmm. if you will. What yep, was that yep. like? Well, when I went into basic training, it was, I think we were like the first round that they stopped slapping or hitting whatever ah. the, the recruits oh you were right there then yeah yep yep like i we we had one guy i forget his name but he caused so much trouble that i remember we we were at a um at attention in a you know after um in a, a sh- um a training that we did and he messed up again in the training and it almost got somebody really hurt. I remember that. But um, the drill sergeant had us all standing at attention, had us all about face, which is turn around, except for such and such. And he's the only one that didn't didn't turn around. All of a sudden, you hear, and then he says, "Everybody about face again." And the guy is just sprawled out on the floor the drill yeah. sergeant's like anybody see anything no drill sergeant good <laughs> yeah yeah and that that was it but um yeah we we like um hand-to-hand training we we skipped hand-to-hand training and yeah. i remember that time because my drill sergeant was extremely pissed off because he he just heard from his his commander that they were skipping hand to hand training this round because they didn't want the soldiers getting hurt. <laughs> He's yeah. like, half of these guys are going in Iraq, Afghanistan, and my commander's afraid of you guys getting hurt. Yeah, where is the common sense in that? <laughs> 
Yes. Well, like, this this really is alarming to recognize that. We, well, there's this attitude about the bonuses and the education that you can get out of going into the military and doing your stint and getting out. And that I, I've witnessed, I, I'm not a veteran myself, but I was raised there. I, I talked to, I have a veteran that I have living on my property. I, I help veterans. The, this is one of my passions. And I really believe that the, the ability to stand up and serve when when it's your choice that's honorable there is something very tangible there that i i can really wrap my mind around but when we go off and allow our military to become a basket for you know, looking for a good time, a an easy place. This is dangerous, and oh, I yeah. still respect our military and everyone that stands up to do that duty. But I really think that we need some George Pattons back in the military, and some of that behavior, maybe not so physical that they're hurting soldiers, but really so they recognize you're here to do a job, a duty. And when you're called right. up, you should be able and willing and sometimes even eager to do that job. I don't recognize right. that anymore. How do we change that? No, you, you, you should. I mean, I, I know a lot of kids go in now looking for a college education. And I went in during the time of Iraq and Afghanistan, a little bit towards the end of that. But um, I ended up in Cuba for six months. I had no idea I was going in there. And when I, when I went in to Cuba, when I left the, the Fort Carson where I was stationed to go to Cuba, we were going for one month, and then we went for six months. You know, and then we ended up uh, doing riot control for six months, and some of us got really hurt. You don't know what you're gonna go into, but you should be prepared for anything at that time you know and that's one thing that i think is really lacking is not only is a lot of people not um wanting to go in anymore there's not the uh the numbers anymore that there was back when i went in or you or that's right a lot of veterans that you know probably went in but um yeah i think that they need to go in for the right reasons. But how do I say this without getting in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> the country needs to be great again in order to get people to want to defend it. Yeah, well, well, it's a very tough, you know? touchy subject, Charles, because, you know, we don't want to offend the men and women that protect us. And it, it right. really needs to be a passion about our freedoms and our rights and our responsibilities, because mm. freedom is never free. And no, I, no. I think we have we have had the easy road for a while. And we, we just need to be reminded once in a while and we have events like 9-11 and little things that have said, hey, we need one another. We need each other. Right. This is important. And I think there's a lot of divisions in our world today that are manufactured. And I, I really think each and every person that is truly an American has that just 
uh, how do you say it, that built-in desire to see America do well. Yeah. We, we disagree about how to do it sometimes, but I believe in what we have as a country. I believe that those people that stand up and serve our country, when it's really time, they pull it together and we wake up to the situation. I yeah. think we really need that. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think we really need that now more than ever. Yes. Yeah, I mean, with everything. Like, we're, we're not as bad as some countries, of course. Right. And, of course. You know, like, I was on a podcast probably a month or two, well, a couple of months ago now, an Australian-based podcast. And um, it was based on the stigma behind um, PTSD and first responders. Yes. The podcast got shut down by their local police. Oh, wow. Because they didn't want a bad reputation. Yeah. That's got to stop that political correctness. Yeah. I was uh, like, uh, are uh, you kidding me? <sighs> yeah. I, I really think right now it's kind of disgusting what's happening politically in our world, not only here in America, but through the top leaders of governments around the world. We, we really need leaders that are going to not be childish and really open to understand why people are feeling the way they are. And, and we as Americans, we have led that in the world for many, many years. And people look up to us and many countries aspire to be like us. And I think that's still true today in many ways. Because we we have this sense about us that when things are really screwed up, mm. uh, I think we remember World War II. And I think we remember those lessons that were learned back then. And the the less we listen to our elders and those people that have been through service matters, this is when it gets dangerous. So we really need to have a strong relation with our veterans and our first responders. Uh, you know, they get a bad rap now and we need these people. These people are the people that rush in when things happen. And oh, yeah. for for people to try to tear that down in a mental or a physical way, that's very dangerous. The institutions that we've established and built since World War II, they've not been perfect, but they have good intention. And right. they say hell's paved with good intention, but... Yet that's our duty, that's our job as Americans to protect that right of right. you and anybody else that wants to speak and give their opinion about matters. And we need to bring back a, a, a way of doing this that is adult and professional. We really have let these people get out of control. So we need people like Charles and people like you listening and watching today to stand up and take the responsibility back and be that beacon of hope and truth. Truth will set us free. And it's really time where we stand up, take offices, positions that 
require you to be better than you are. This is the service that we really need to get back into. You've written to it. Well, I'm doing my part as much as I possible. I'm always willing to do that part. And I think everybody needs that. But you're doing things like writing books and bringing up subjects like practical awareness. I was digging into your YouTube about being prepared and being vigilant and being aware of what your surroundings are. Because that's why uh, Nazi Germany got carried away. They shrugged their responsibilities. Hmm. What's your thoughts on that? And how, how do we become more practical aware, Charles? Well, being practical aware, the first thing that comes to my mind is the white stage of mind, which is unaware. Mm-hmm unprepared and unaware and back when I wrote that book 78% of people go through their lives in that way that like, blew me um, away yeah yeah like uh, going to work every day how many of us go to work the same exact way you know Get up. That's right. Get in their cars, go the same road every day, and then come back the same road every day. You know, I I worked as a PI for a time. And a lot of times I had to follow people first thing in the morning. I didn't have, I didn't even have to wait in front of their house or anywhere near their street. I could wait at their Dunkin' Donuts because I knew that they were going to be at their Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) And follow them from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Creature or, of or, habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that that's what I teach in that book, like discovering new ways to get to to work. Like I know, I mean, I, I work from home with aware recovery care, but I know that when I used to work at you know buildings, places. In Worcester, there was like ten different ways to get to work, you know. And I, I would, I would actually go different places, you know, different ways to work every day, just to, just to keep my mind from not being in a zombie-like state when I went to work, you know. Yeah. And being That's in a interesting. store. Yeah. Small stuff like that, like and being in a yeah. store, you know, like. So many active shooter events happen when we're in a store. Yes. You know, like you, if you see something or hear something or even any of your senses smell something that is out of the ordinary, you know, see where you're at. Definitely do a visual where you're at. But you should already know where the nearest exit is where um you know what's around you like not every second of every every time you're in a store but what can you use as a weapon if you need to you know what can you use as a barrier between you and someone else if you need to you know just just a mental check-in you know um in schools too like yovade uh yovade is that Am I am I murdering that word? Or? Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I, I'm staying away from that, Charles. <laughs> but, but um, but um, Uvalde, yeah. Uvalde, yes. But the amount of time that it took them to get in that school response, yes, was just a shame. You know, to say the least. You know, teach people. Even even the teachers or the kids, like my my kid, knows the basics of, you know, situational awareness, practical awareness. Yes. Um, you know, even even hand to hand, you know, he, he knows the basics because 
daddy's not always around and he's only 10. I mean, his sister's a star yeah. on a football team, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's right on. yeah. You know, but you, you can never be too sure about where you're at. Even, even when I, um, I have a place called Purgatory Chasm where I like to walk and there's hardly anybody up there, but I always have a knife and I always have a baton on me when I'm walking up there because you don't know if you're going to run into an animal or if you're yeah. going to run into a human that acts like an animal. You just yeah. never know. Same you know? thing sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. you want to you wanna always be prepared. I mean, that's yes. what that that's what that book is all about. It's about using your mind instead of using using your, your hands. Like I remember years ago, I worked as a shuttle driver for a college. The kids had to park a couple of miles away from the school and go, you know, to school. And I seen this one girl. I was walking into a wooded, uh, darkened area behind the school. I'm like, oh, great. I don't, I don't like that. You know, the back of my head, the hair on the back of my neck stood up. The next day, I heard that she got raped. Mm. You know, it's stuff like that. You, you, you gotta just have, you know, some. You know, practical awareness, aware yes. aware of like being your situation, being aware of your situation, of your surroundings, your situation, like proper lighting. Um, I I wrote that book because somebody actually told me that they they had a um, a building that they worked in, and the garage was like. 100 or more feet away and the lights in the garage were horrible and there was a couple of times where people were held by knife point in the garage and they wanted me to run a program for them at that at that building i ran the program for them but that became a book that became that enlightened book that i wrote interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's one of those things that you're doing is you're taking the the knowledge and the awareness that you've built and discovered and transfer it into books and helping people discover how to write books even that yeah, that's yeah. kind of unique <clears throat> excuse me no so problem. Uh, I, I noticed through the research you developed a technique or learned of a technique called 7-11 breathing, seven yes. seconds in, 11 seconds out. Where did that come from and how does that help you? It helps you by calming, calming you down when you're, when you're anxious. and. I wish I could tell you where it came from, <laughs> but I forget exactly well, where, where it came from. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You uh, you breathe in, slowly for seven seconds, and then exhale for eleven seconds. Do that a few times, and that calms you down. I I I actually um, seen something the other day that. Reminded me of something about breathing. Um, I was watching the news and they were talking about taking a deep breath. You know how everybody says, if you're anxious, take a deep breath. I guess mm -hmm. now they're saying that that's the worst thing you can do. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Because, yeah. Because um, I guess when you're anxious, your lungs and your heart are in a certain way. So when you take a deep breath and you take it quick, your lungs can um, get a- uh, Hyperventilate. Hyperventilate, yeah, yep, yep. And- Yeah. Yeah, so- Yeah, 
the 7-Eleven breathing is a lot better because you're slowly breathing in for seven seconds and then slowly exhaling for 11 seconds. And then right. And that's a controlled breathing system. And, exactly. and that's actually putting your mind into uh, a state of awareness. So, so I, I really think that's a unique way. Uh, I, I've talked to a lot of people about breathing techniques, and a lot of different people have different ways to breathe. And I, I haven't heard of the 7-Eleven breathing technique. And I, I think that's really one of those that just gives you something to bring your mind and your thought back to where it needs to be in calming state. It helps yeah. you grab that moment you need. Yeah. So it's part of mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping uh, your mind do, um, focused. That's right. Do you have a coaching program that you work with people about these mindfulness techniques and how to just help yourself from self sabotage and learning how to? Be at one with yourself. I did before COVID. I, I did locally before COVID, but then um, things got shut down. And then I started uh, working with Aware Recovery Care. And that takes up a lot of my my time. And um, I love Aware Recovery Care because I have the client for a whole year. And I can actually spend a lot more time than I could working like in a detox or an ATS or a CSS with the client. And we have a much larger success rate than even AA and NA because we're no, really we're hands-on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because we're hands-on with the client and we're meeting them where they're at. And I, I can I can teach them mindfulness and meditation and all that. And they they let me run my program the way that I want to run it. With so this clients. is like an in-house thing where you go to a client's home and yeah. uh mentor and just kind of talk to them, exactly. discover what what the underlying situations are and bringing those things to the surface to help identify and discover how to release. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a great discovering. It's a great program. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I like that. That's a good approach. Yeah. So I've kept you here quite a bit, Charles. Uh, do okay. you have a call to action for our listeners today? What What is something you would like to see them do for you? Um, one thing that I, I did today was I, um, it was a veteran, it's a veterans organization near my, my home called Project New Hope. And I'm sure everybody has a, their own veterans organization near their home. And I am going to be adopting a, uh, a child for Christmas, you know, just buying the, buying the gifts for, you know, they're coming, come from Santa, you know, and I think that that is going to have to be huge this year. You know, a lot of people are going to need that this year. So I'm making yeah. sure that I'm I'm definitely going to be a part of that. And that's my call to action. You know, that is awesome. I, I love that, you know, and it's one of those things that my wife and I, we we really love taking one of those little names off of those trees where you find them there's many places mm. that do certain things like that and 
you know, I, I really believe we should stand up and show concern, care, and hope for a brighter tomorrow through programs like that. That's a good call to action, Charles. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. How can people locate your books, get a hold of you, and find the services that you provide? That can all be done through lifelongexperience.net. All my books, every podcast that I've been on, um, all, all the merchandise that I've created over the time. I have cups and all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, it's all on lifeexperience.net. And uh, one thing that I like to leave people with is um, I had a suicide attempt about 20 years ago. And I um, actually just now, my kids were trying to call me as I was on here. But um, now I, I have a, a 10-year-old son who's my biological son. And his sister is a 12-year-old. If I, you know, did that back 20 years ago, not only would he not be here, but I wouldn't have her in my life. Mm. you know and oh, i would not and i wouldn't be here talking to you i wouldn't be a seven-time author the list goes on i wouldn't be able to help out a veteran's family this holiday you know like i said the list goes on and on so if you ever feel like you you're at the end of your rope just grab that rope and hold on because you know, it can and does get better if you just hold on. I've seen so many people take their lives before, you know, before their time. And every time is just so tragic. Yeah. Because you just know that, you know, life can, life can get so much better for them, but they chose to take it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've seen it happen, and, yeah. and you know that's that's a good way to end this program. Is you know people, you never know where they are. We we put a good show up front up, and many times the man inside of us, and even the woman inside of us, we we tend to deny our own need recognize you need help sometimes and when you're mm. feeling alone confused and in that suicide ideation phase go to the fire hall go to the hospital go to a library ask for help yeah find somebody in a public space and and yes, if you have to make a scene, make a scene, survive that incident, know that you matter and what you're going through, like Charles just said, it's going to pass. And it's so important to remember. We never know where people are right here in their head. So always. Right. Try to leave them with kindness and care and a sense of humility. It, it really can save lives. And I'm so glad that you brought that up at the end of our episode here, Charles. Thank you for spending your time with us. And thank you for what you're doing out there. It's great. You're very welcome, Ed. It was great being on your, on your podcast. Like I said, I feel like I've been waiting forever to be on here. <laughs> awesome. And You've made it. <laughs> yeah. It was worth every minute. <laughs> Great. Yes. You know, it's it's powerful when we can sit here and share stories, experiences, and traumas. Those yeah. traumas can really set us free because we're not alone. And it's it's just gold right there. And these podcasts 
these books, these videos that we make, mm. somebody needs it or else it wouldn't be produced and put out there in the ether anyway. Exactly. Thank you, Charles. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon wherever you may be.